Hey, Mike Slater. Welcome to Breitbart News Daily. Gosh, we had such a good show today. It's hard to pick. We're just allowed to pick two segments here. Uh, we'll still do the opening monologue just because we normally do. Uh, we did a little bit of a follow-up to the forum that took place on Friday. Uh, but we talked a little more about something Tucker Carlson said. Less, less about the candidates and more about something Tucker Carlson said about having two seemingly opposite things. And can you hold those two beliefs at the same time, in this case, that you have free will and you're not in charge. Something our founding fathers profoundly believed. We talked about that. Here it is. Yesterday, we spent the first segment going over the minor candidates for president in a forum that took place on Friday night. Pretty interesting that the former vice president is a, is a minor candidate, but he is. Uh, so here's Trump talking about that event. I watched some of those interviews given by Tucker yesterday. Tucker's terrific, and I watched some of the interviews, and I'll tell you, it wasn't, it wasn't a pretty picture. If you watched them, they were... They were bad. I hope you didn't watch because it would like life ending, career threatening for those people. Some of them, I won't tell you who, but some of them were really bad. Now is the time. Yeah, when a guy gets, he's polling at one. <laughs> one. One guy actually was, I'm sure it was a typo. Probably it was because so many people vote illegally, so it probably wasn't a typo. He's at zero with an arrow pointing left. And I say, how the hell does that happen, Matt Gates? That's <laughs> <laughs> so great. My favorite thing is when Trump does this sound. Here it is. And I'll tell you, it wasn't, it wasn't a pretty picture. If you watched them, they were. Like that, like that laugh right there. That's great. Zero <laughs> percent and going down. Ooh. Zero percent and falling. Some classic. That's some classic jump right there. I love that clip because I don't. Uh, a little sidebar here as we still gear up for the camp. I think we're still gearing up. Uh, I, don't, I don't care much for teleprompter Trump. Not my favorite version of Trump. The best version of Trump is the in between the teleprompter moments. Right? He'll read a thing and then riff on it, and the riffing is by far the best. Now maybe you need the teleprompter to get to the riff, I suppose. But that was a great in-between teleprompter. He tried to go to the teleprompter, right? He went back. But he couldn't, excuse me. He couldn't, uh, he couldn't go to the teleprompter. He, didn't, he had more. Were bad. I hope you didn't watch because it would, like, life-ending, career-threatening for those people. Some of them. I won't tell you who, but some of them were really bad. Now is the time. Yeah, when a guy gets, he's polling at one. <laughs> he tried. One. One guy actually was, I'm sure it was a typo. Probably it was because so many people vote illegally, so it probably wasn't a typo. He's at zero with an arrow pointing left. And I say, how the hell does that happen, Matt Gates? <laughs> That's funny. Uh, my takeaway from Friday, then we'll move on from it. Uh, this was the first time I saw all the candidates in one place. Not at the same time. That'll come to. But all in one place, same format. It's, it's, they're all so reliant on their stump speech. 
And they just kept going back to their stump speech responses. And maybe that's going to happen when you're campaigning and you give your stump speech a thousand times and you say the same things over and over and over and over again multiple times a day. That's just how you talk all the time. Like, like maybe you go home with your wife that night and you're just still saying the same stuff the same way. And I, I don't know, like it, I, maybe it just does something to your brain and you can't not talk in stump speech. And you do it long enough, you just start acting, you start talking like this all the time. This president of the United States. When America is strong, the world is safe. America has remained the best in space. Relentless pursuit of victory will guide us to return to the moon, put Americans on Mars. Welcome to Made in America Week. We'll rise to that challenge. We will stand with our allies, restoring democracy and ending the crisis. Welcome to a new era for American infrastructure. The great respect of the president. So true. Whole, free, and at peace. So true. Say it again, what? This will end. Bye-bye. This is like the human metronome. You just talk like this all the time, no matter what. Just that's your just that's your beat. You'll never not hear that now. By the way, when you hear Mike Pence talk, I I could have played that yesterday, but I didn't want to. Like, you'll never hear Mike Pence the same ever again. But it's true with all these guys to an extent. You ask them a question, and you, they never talk like a normal person. They never just they never just talk. Talk like what? I just like like we're just two guys sitting at a table. Like I'm going to co- I'm getting some coffee this afternoon with someone, and I'm not gonna talk like this when I you know what I mean? <laughs> like well, well, Jason, let me tell you something. Like I don't. No one talks like that. And I think when you hear people talk like that. It people sense it. I think we we get it. Like deep down, we're just like, that's not, it's not right. You know the uncanny valley when it comes to uh, mannequins or or a, like fake things, like fake people. The uncanny valley is they all everything looks the same, but their it looks real, but their eyes something about their eyes aren't right, and you're like, Ugh. like that's not like your body, your like soul is looking at it. You're like, that's not warning, warning, danger. <laughs> and I think you get that with when politicians talk. Like, ooh, I don't, it doesn't feel right. Danger. <laughs> I don't like, it's, it's inauthentic. Feels canned. Feels like you're, you're, you're selling me something here. Like, why are you coming at me like that? And that was one of Trump's appeals. He always talks the same way. But then he introduced teleprompter Trump at some point. And that's um, not the best, but off the, off the cuff Trump is way better. But I will tell you that that is how Trump always talks early in his 2016 campaign i did a 90 minute interview with trump in trump tower and i got a lot of funny stories um but the, but the general takeaway is that he's the same he was the same when i met him he was the same before we went on air he was the same during air he was the same after air he was the same when we said goodbye he was the same the whole time 
And I, I haven't seen that with uh, as many people. I'll save the stories for another day. I shall say I'll share one. So 90 minutes. It's a long, long time to chat with someone. So I read the, I read uh, his book and uh, got some interviews, got some questions, things I was curious about. I kind of had it mapped out, kind of like a vision, kind of like a flow for 90 minutes. See how it goes. Obviously got to be on your feet, right? But I was like, okay, we'll start here and kind of, kind of move in this direction. And uh, before it was like a minute before we go on the air. I'm sitting next to him. I said, hey, Mr. Trump, uh, I want to ask you, oh, first question. Just, you know, I want it to go well. I want everyone to sound, yeah, I want it to sound good. So uh, give a little heads up. Uh, Mr. Mr. Trump, uh, I want to talk to you about uh, the Hotel Commodore. That was his first hotel in New York City right across from Grand Central Station. I just want to talk about how you uh, renovated that building and, the, and how difficult it was to do uh, to get through the bureaucracy and everything. But then you did and you renovated that building and it really revitalized that part of downtown of New York City. And we can just make a parallel with that in your campaign and making America great again. And, and we'll go from there. And he looks at me and he goes, that's a terrible question. And then he looked up and goes, who is this guy? This is, this is what we're, this was after he was like praising me and I'm like the best person in the world. Who is this guy? What, what, that, that's your, that, a terrible question. So I'm freaking out. And the guy, the camera guy goes, 10 seconds. So I'm, I'm like, okay, super. This is, this is, this is going to be a disaster. We got 90 minutes, so fantastic. And three, two, one, and they're talking blah, 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 blah. And I was like, I got to go. I got to, I just got to do it. This is the plan. We got to go with the plan. So say, Mr. Trump, uh, the first hotel you ever renovated in New York City was the Hotel Commodore. Downtown, right across from Grand Central City. It's beautiful. And you really improved the whole time. Uh, tell us, tell us about that process and, and what that means for, you know, what you're going to do for America. Let's go for it. So what, what else I got? That's it. And he goes, Mike, what a great question. Let me tell you. And he goes on. Goes on it and like crushes it. Just like, just like I knew he would. Just like crushes the answer. And then uh, that was the beginning of our 90 minutes. The, the point of that is uh, he does it to get, get you off. Get you off your, your game. He does that with a lot of reporters. You'll hear it all the time. He'll do something, he'll say something to get you a little off balance. He did that, oh, there, was, um, there was an interview he did with Larry King many, many years ago. And the interview was about to start. I gotta look forward here. He says, uh, he says, Larry, man, your breath stinks. <laughs> He's about to do, <coughs> excuse me, I, I got this crazy call. He was about to do a 60 minute, Interview. You go, man, Larry, whoo. <laughs> like, Larry's like the, the most professional, like, best interviewer ever. And Trump, he's like, I got to get this guy. He doesn't even think about it. It's like natural. And he's like, I gotta, just got to get this guy off his game a little bit. Man, Larry, wow. Whew. Be a breath mint, man. <laughs> I'll find it. I'll find it. Um, anywho, that's Trump. He's always the same. Uh, I did lie, though. This is... I'm going to play one more clip from the summit, but it's not about the candidates. This is a clip of Tucker before the forum began, and he was being interviewed by the guy who kind of put it all together. Of our lifetime. How do you explain 
Well, I'm clinging to the hope that elections still matter. I, I really want to believe that because I'm, I'm American in a very fundamental way. And so I believe in, in, the, in the actual mechanics of democracy, like the people should rule, you know. Um, so, uh, but leaving aside even elections, I think it's clearly a pivot point in history. And I don't think the issues that we debate and really are in some ways distractions are the core issues mm. at all. I mean, it really, there are forces, unseen forces acting on people. Um, it's funny, in February, I was like trying to think about what to do for Len. I'm not a particularly faithful or virtuous person, but like you try to do something. I already quit smoking, so like what's next? <laughs> and I thought, well, I'm just going to read the Bible. And no, I'm not going to do a Bible study. I'm a Protestant, so I feel like I have a right to kind of read it myself. And I know, I'm sorry. I feel that way. <laughs> and, uh, and so I've been reading it since February, and I'm like about halfway done. And and I haven't talked to anyone about it, and I haven't been in it, just been myself reading it. And, and I've all kind of, it's like the most interesting thing I think I've ever done. Mm. It's unbelievable. The amount of drama in those books <laughs> that has been hidden from me as a regular churchgoer in the Episcopal Church. It's like, wait, why didn't you never mention this? This is like unbelievable. <laughs> what? But the two things I have come away with after reading the entire New Testament, and I'm up to Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, is the... Every, per with the exception of Jesus, every figure is like really flawed. Big time. Like flawed in a way where you'd be like, I don't know if I could be friends with that person. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Abraham enters Egypt and he's like, oh, it's my sister actually, take her. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? I was saying to my wife who was a, who was a religion teacher, I was like, what, why didn't anyone, what is that? And she's like, maybe the point is that God takes people who are not perfect people, not only not perfect people, like they're so imperfect again, mm. I don't think I can have dinner with them and uses them for these grander purposes. That's the first thing I know. Stop that for a second. Amazing things happen when you open the Bible. How about he saying it's the most interesting thing I've ever done. Tucker's a reader. He reads all the time. But the church he's been going to, the Episcopal Church or whatever, uh, they never read the Bible. <laughs> they don't read it. Isn't that amazing? That's true for, for most Christians, actually. People don't read the thing. And you can tell because once you do, you're not the same person. And it goes either way. Either you'll love it or hate it more. You can't be lukewarm about it. The only way you can be lukewarm about the Bible is if you've never read it. And on that point that God uses not perfect people, you hear, you've heard, I've heard that my whole Christian life, like 10 years or so. Um, like, oh, yeah, they're, they're not perfect. <laughs> I, I was thinking, I, I, like, I'm going to stop saying that. To Tucker's point, it's not that God uses not perfect people. Like not perfect implies that they're pretty close. Pretty close, but they got one thing that just kind of just takes them down half a notch. God uses deeply flawed people. Profoundly flawed people for his plan. Why? Because then he gets the glory. Flawed people have to depend on him. And uh, there's also no other people to choose from. <laughs> That's Like we're all deeply flawed, so... That's what he's got. I, and I'm not going to Bible thumb today. I just want to share this one story. Second Chronicles 20. Uh, Tucker will get to that soon if he's in Deuteronomy now. Uh, Jehoshaphat. He cries out. He says, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. They were surrounded by the enemy, about to be attacked. And he's on his, he's on his like last, not like he's, he's 
we don't, we're desperate. We don't know what to do. Our butt, our eyes are upon you. And Alistair Begg, he made the point that what he was really saying is, Lord, we're just a bunch of pathetic losers. And if you don't help us, we're sunk. We got nothing. And Alistair went on to say that he discovered that this is the true mission statement of the church for pastors. We're just a bunch of pathetic losers. And if God doesn't help us, we're sunk. And that's not the worst name for a church even, the church of pathetic losers. But it's a healthy posture for us as a country. God, man, we, 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 we're sunk without you. We don't know. We're doing, we're doing the best we can, but we can't do anything. Without you, And that happens to be the posture of our founding fathers. Hence their proclamations calling for days of humiliation and prayer. Humiliation meaning humbleness. We need to humble ourselves. And a time out from every earthly pursuit. That's what our proclamations said from our founding fathers. They did this routinely. Stop all earthly pursuits for a day of compl- a complete day of prayer. Because we can do nothing here on our own. And this is a pivotal moment in our history. And we got, there's no way we can do this by ourselves. That posture is deeply, deeply ingrained in our founding by our founders. And it has turned uh, into, well, pride. The exact opposite. Last point from Tucker. Notice the second thing I notice is that people, while they have free will, of course, and they can make decisions and they live with the consequences of those decisions, they're not really in charge of the arc of history at all. Mm. They are being acted upon a lot. Amen. Okay? And I never really appreciated that because I'm American, and so I grew up with this feeling that we're the sum total of our choices. And, well, that's not what I'm reading at all. Mm. Yeah, people's choices matter. You need to do certain things and not do other things. On the other hand, you are not in charge. You are being acted upon by a world you can't see. And that, by the way, is consistent with my life experience. Like, I've seen that. I've lived that. I'm 54. And so I feel like it's really important to approach politics with that in mind. Like, a lot of these issues are symbols of this much larger battle. And What a potentially difficult, two difficult things to hold at the same time. You have free will. You make choices. And you're not in charge. Feels like you can't do those both at the same time, but uh, but you can. You know, I think about this often. He mentioned Tucker mentioned how old he is. Uh, our founding fathers, right? I, I mentioned him a second ago. Picture picture our founding fathers. Picture Thomas Jefferson. How old do you think Thomas Jefferson was in 1776 When he wrote the Declaration of Independence, how old do you think he was? I mean, based on the picture in your head. Based on the picture in my head, Thomas Jefferson was 72. He was 72 years old based on the image that I have in my head of Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson in 1776 was 33. 30, he's like, 33? Benjamin Rush, the great doctor of America. That's what he's known. He's the great doctor. Of America, signer of the Declaration, whole thing. He was thirty. He was thirty years old. He was like barely out of med school. I mean, there was no med school then, but like you know, what I mean, like like today, he would just it'd be in his residency or something. Thomas Paine, we quoted at length the other day from uh, one of his pamphlets, the the the, the American Crisis. Maybe we talk more about this at 
Uh, actually, we would definitely. We'll, it fits perfectly with when we're going to talk at 7.30 with our resident Breitbart historian. The American crisis came when we were getting crushed by the British early in the, in the war. And he just wrote this just, just, just historically beautiful call to fight for these huge ideals that are way bigger than all of us. And he's, uh, he was 38. He and I are the same age. I've done nothing, imp- done nothing impressive at all. James Madison, I think of James Madison. He's the guy who wrote the Constitution. The guy who wrote the Constitution. Uh, he's like, yeah, what, 64? He was 25. In 1776, he was 25. 25? What? It's like a, like a punk kid, 25. That's unbelievable to me. I think about that all the time. These were young guys. So these guys, they had to do the work. They had to put in the work from their early childhood and their early adulthood. They had to, they had to do it. They had to, right, they had to put the effort in and learn and read. They had to get smart. They had to get capable. They had to get courageous. That is true. And God made it happen. God was in control. There's no way you get a couple of 25 to 38 year olds together and have them start a country <laughs> like this. No chance. Our founders were acted upon. And Tucker's point about talking about this is he cares about this election because he thinks elections still matter. There's a, there are these mechanics of democracy in our republic that matter and we're Americans and we should want them to work. We should want them to work. So on one hand, we have to vote. We have to be engaged, vote, do your part, and then some. Also, on the other hand, we are being acted upon. Both of those things true at the same time. How interesting. Later, Breitbart News Daily. Thanks for being here. Austin Moody has a new country song out. And this song, uh, because of Breitbart, because of its focus on Breitbart.com, went from nothing to 35 to 28 to 18 to 8 to 5 now on the country charts, which is awesome. And it's important that this song hits number one, as we explain in this conversation with Austin Moody. And Austin Moody is with us right now. Austin, what's going on, man? Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me on, man. Yep. Grateful you're here. Grateful for the song. Well done. Congratulations. Number five, is that uh, is that correct at this moment? Yes. Uh, I was watching it last night. It went up to number four, then back to number five, and uh, it's been going back and forth. So uh, it's it's pretty unbelievable uh, for me that it's doing so well. Uh, you know, just proves that there's still a strong moral compass in this country. And again, I mean, what you were saying about what John said, uh, this is country music and um, the industry and the entertainment business, they had no clue what a country fan is, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, cool thing is this chart's driven by fans and that's who dictates uh, where this thing is landing on the, on the chart. So yeah. it's pretty cool. Have you seen it in the industry? Have you seen it change even in country music over the last decade? 
I mean, <clears throat> I've been I've been in Nashville since 2010, and um, where where it's obviously changed was I would say five years ago. Um, you know, just look at the CMT awards. I mean, you know, sadly, two or three days after the shooting here in Nashville, they had a drag parade on the CMT awards. Yeah, like and what? the problem is, is when when you give when you give fans the cho- choice between white bread and white bread, well, they're going to choose a white bread, you know. So uh, there 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 are a lot of patriots in Nashville um, that can't say anything, and mm. because they'll lose their uh, they'll lose their deal, uh, the support, whatever. Uh, it's it's. It's pretty scary. Yeah, I was, pretty I, was scary. I was talking yeah. to someone yesterday about uh, kids and kids going to pride parades, and he's like, "What's the problem? It's uh, they're family friendly, and love is love." So he told me, "I said, what are you out of your mind?" Uh, and and a couple years ago, no one would have ever dreamed of sending a ch- of having a child go to view a a pride parade, <laughs> let alone be in. The pride phrase is crazy. And I think it's the same thing with the CMTs. How, like, a few years, a few, three years ago, I never would have dreamed that there were drag queens at the Country Music Awards. Like, what in the world is happening? I know. And it's like we live in a world right now where wrong is right and right is wrong. And, I mean, how can you justify the eyebass people? You know, they go, what's wrong with it? You know, and it's like there's, there's this movement that first of all um it doesn't just piss off uh you know the heterosexual community it's pissing off the gay community um as well because this is a movement that's singularly focused on exposing children to sexualized material and it you know you've got a problem with taking a kid to a strip club but you don't have a problem with taking a kid to see a man dressed up in, in a dog collar and a Mm-hmm. Whatever the heck they they're wearing in these things, or riding a bicycle, but naked. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we've we've seen the same Twitter videos. Uh, <laughs> why why if others are afraid to say something, why are you able to say something? Well, <clears throat> you know when I'm I release this uh, independently. I'm an independent artist. Uh, I, I don't have a major label deal in that pressure um, right now. And, you know, those guys have a tough, tough choice. I think a lot of them want to mm-hmm. say something. Uh, but when you have a, when you have a record deal and, you know, you're one of these dudes that have, you know, 50 guys on the payroll out on tour and you're yeah, supporting um, all, the, all their families. It's like, you take that into consideration. It's like, well, any choice I make here, um, you know, if I get canceled, it's going to affect 50 families, yeah. you know, and their kids. Um, so that's, that's the tough choice for me. Um, you know, I've got a family, but I'm, I'm fortunate to, uh, you know, have, have other things going on as well. Uh, so it was a little easier again, you know, I'm, I'm still in Nashville and, and trying to find my way. And, and before I put out this song, I was like, well, 
this is going to put a big old target on my back, a big target. So um, I knew exactly what I was doing, but I just I just made the decision that I was like, you know, honesty and freedom can't be independent. Uh, you got to be honest, even it costs you. You know, you you can. Uh, either be under somebody's boot or stand up and be free. And that's just that's just the way I want to live and uh, the example I want to set for my young daughter. You are so right about the families. Because I was, I was thinking about this, it was a while back, I forget what it was, when uh, John Cena was promoting some movie in Thailand, sorry, Taiwan, and said something that upset China. And then he came back the next day and he did this big apology to China and everyone is critical of him and, and me too. Uh, but I, I, I forget who told me or where I read or what, but you putting yourself in his shoe, there's he's as you, on your point, there's hundreds of people that work under him and around him and on this movie and all the rest that if he stands strong and doesn't kowtow to China, all these people's lives are going to be negatively affected. So this huge pressure on John Cena to just do the right thing. Just do, what's the big deal? Just just say it. Just say you're sorry so we can go on and we can make money and we can continue, right? It's there's that's a huge pressure that I don't understand because I don't have people that work under me, right? Uh, and you know, if you're more an independent guy, you don't you don't have that. I'm so glad you brought that up. That's so important. But that's hard to speak against, right? I mean, how do you say, well, you still have to do the right thing even though it's going to negatively affect other people? That's hard. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. And, um, you know, I, I would never, you know, I, I've got, I've got friends that, you know, feel the same way you and I do. And, you know, I would, I would never tell them that, Hey, well, you got to go do this. I can't speak for them and their family. And, and I, I'm not in their shoes. Um, and I understand, I completely understand where they're at. I mean, they're not thinking about, you know, their career. They're thinking about, you know, 50 or 60, people's mm-hmm. career so um that's that's the problem and that's the yep. you know the anvil hanging over everybody's head uh three years ago three years ago really nobody really had to think about this i mean i'll be honest before 2020 um i was just trying to stay in my lane music uh i didn't bring up politics um i didn't really watch what was going on. I mean, I knew who I was and who I'd vote for and what I stood for, but um, we're dealing with a whole different thing now. It's not just politics at this point. It's, there's, I mean, I feel like, I mean, this may be extreme, but there, there's a darkness that we're dealing with. And I think, I don't care, Democrat, Republican, there's this huge, you know, gap right down the middle of all of them that, I'm sure look at this stuff going on with this trans movement and, um, you know, these once great American cities institutes that are now, you know, decaying and violent. And they're looking at this going, what the heck? I mean, this is crazy, you know, and, you know, again, that's another part of the problem. I, I'm one, I was one of those guys. I said, I go, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've talked about it, but I didn't say anything about it. And, you know, people are scared to stand up. We feel isolated. And uh, my point was why I wanted to cut this song uh, that Wynn Barble and Mike Loudermilk wrote 
when they sent it to me, uh, I begged Wynn to let me cut it. Uh, and I just like, Hey, I felt convicted over the last couple of years of wanting to do something, but thinking that I couldn't. And this is just one of those things where <clears throat> maybe somebody hears it and goes, wow, okay. There's somebody else that feels the way I do. Maybe yeah. I'm not crazy. Yeah. Talking to Austin Moody songs. I'm just saying number five on the country charts right now. Let me ask you a tough question, Austin. So I'm trying to find the principle here. Um, and you can help me with this. So Taylor Swift, there was this whole big controversy a couple of years ago in Nashville. Uh, cause she was, she lives in Nashville. She was speaking out against Marsha Blackburn who we're talking to tomorrow. And, uh, she's like, I just have to, I have to become political. And her dad and all of her advisors are like, no, don't, don't say anything. You're going to upset people. And she's like, no, I have to. I have to speak about in favor of all this stuff that you and I are against, right? She has to speak on these progressive. I have to, I have to, I have to, I have to. And everyone's like, good for you. Like everyone on the left is like, good for you. You say, and conservative, a lot of conservatives are like, uh, you know, stop. Like just sing your song. Like just sing your song and don't say anything. But then you, conservative, conservatives are like, good for you. Right? You know what I mean? Like, so. What do we want? What do we want out of our celebrities? Do we want our celebrities to shut up and, and dribble the ball and do their thing and stay in their lane and talk about you know normal country music songs? Or do we want our celebrities to speak about their favorite political issues? How do you make sense of that? Well, <clears throat> that is a tough question, but it, until... I'm going to go back and kill three years ago. Yeah. I, I think everybody should stay in their lane. No matter what, you know, we're, we're entertainers. I mean, mm -hmm. it's the music industry. To be honest, it's not even a real life. I mean, you get a better chance to become an NFL player as a female than you do to become a <laughs> uh, hit number one country artist. So yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's, you're, it's, you're so lucky to be in that position if you are able to get there. And, you know, the whole thing with the Dixie Chicks uh, uh, yeah. back in the day, you know, they, they said one one thing and blew up and people burning their albums and this and that. I mean, part of, I didn't agree with what they said, but part of me had a problem with like, hey, our side of the, the coin, we did to them exactly what they're doing to us now. And like, we're the side of, of law and order we're the side of hey you do your thing and don't shove it down my throat and i'm okay with it yeah i'm not going to tell you how to live so i think first off we need to remember that um but now I, you know i still think entertainment's entertainment you, you, you should be able to go to a show and enjoy the show without feeling uh singled out uh, like you don't belong there and then the other side of the coin now, here I am taking a stand. I, I never thought I would be that guy. Mm. Uh, but I'm sitting here just going, our, our country's decaying so fast. Um, and I'm looking, having a daughter completely changed my outlook on this. But mm. I'm looking 10 years down the road and going, what's it going to be like in 10 years? It's, it's, it's decayed so fast in two years, two, yeah. three years. What's it going to be like in 10 Yep. Um, and, and again, we're the side that doesn't want to call big issues and this and that, but the, the left have always used entertainment to mm. infiltrate kids, college kids, 
Um, they they always have. They're ahead of the game uh, on this, and you know, so a few people Very need cool. to speak up. That yeah. you know, if you feel like you need to do that, go do it. If Taylor Swift feels like she needs to speak up for the you know uh, the trans the marginalized yeah, who don't have a voice, like give the, me a break. Guys that like to wear dog collars, that's fine. <laughs> If you feel like you need to do that, by all means, go out there and do it. I mean, hey, she, I, I like Taylor Swift's music. She's People can say she whatever. She worked hard. She deserves it. And you know what? If she wants to go say that, fine. Okay, go do it. What I have a problem with is the way this industry is now to where if you don't take on that, uh, you know, carry that torch for the other side and – you, you say you're okay with this and you support what's going on, that you're going to get canceled. We're not going to do anything with you. You're going to be labeled a, you know, an extremist because, uh, you know, you're a Christian or you want to talk about God in a show. It can't go both ways. Yeah. Great point. She, yeah. she, she didn't have so, the brave position in our culture today. That was, that's the expected norm in, uh, in every aspect of our culture, including country music, which is wild. Um, let's talk about the song for a second. So yesterday we were talking to someone in the actors union and he gave us just some great insight into how actors are paid and how things work in the, in that industry. Um, how does, how does a song happen? So you got these two guys you mentioned, Mike Loudermilk and Wynn Varble. So they write, they come to you, like how, what's the whole process here? So, you know, Mike, Mike and Wynn, Wynn's a, uh, you know, big, Hit songwriter here in town, uh, great friend of mine, and uh, Wynn and I, we like to ride around Columbia, Tennessee, on the back roads and and listen to new songs we've written in the, his old truck. And so we were riding around, and he goes, "I just wrote this the other day," and he played me the work tape, and I told him right there, "If you can't find somebody bigger to cut it, I want to cut it, and uh, I'll cut y'all in on the on the master." And so. What's what's going on now is you know publishing. They if, if somebody cuts their song, they make the publishing side of it. Which with streaming and the way music sales have converted from CDs to streaming, there's songwriting royalties are pretty much nothing. I mean, the songwriting community as a whole is dying because of it. So you know now you know. I, as an artist or other artists, um, the right thing to do is give the writers part of your masters. The master is um, <clears throat> the recording. And usually the artist or whoever's paying for the record owns that. So we, uh, me and Wim, we, we literally said, okay, we went in the studio. Him and I produced it together. Uh, and I think we, we cut the song and had it released within two weeks from start to finish. Mm. Um, and just threw it out there. I've always thought way too much about stuff, but this time yeah. I said, you know what? I'm throwing it out there. I'm not even thinking about it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Breitbart uh, did an article uh, actually uh, on, on when, and that <clears throat> that was a huge bump for the song. Uh, it's funny. I, I told Wynn, I said, well, this is great. I said, I'm going to get paid and you're taking all the heat. This works out good. <laughs> so, uh, but, and then, you know, kind of stayed out, uh, hit a, hit a plateau. Um, 
and uh, John Kahn over at Black Bar reached out again, asking how things were, and decided to do another another article last week on it. Um, and man, it it completely blew up after that. Uh, and then Breitbart did another article because it was climbing the chart so fast, and it went from you know it got to 35, and it went from 35 to you know top 10 in under 24 hours. After that, um, you know, yesterday morning, Newsmax reached out. I did an interview there last night, and uh, the Jesse Kelly show, and and um, lucky enough to be here this morning. So, you know, a week ago, I'm trying to figure out how to who I need to contact to get on Newsmax and yeah, get all yeah. these, you know, media outlets. And now they're reaching out, which is really cool uh, for me. Um, so, well, it's an awesome so, chance. Yeah, uh, yeah, we got We got it. Go ahead. Yeah. No, you go ahead. Sorry. Oh, good. Um... Sorry, sorry. Let me let me let me jump in here. So I, it's I think it's very important, especially for a dollar, to stick it to the man, <laughs> and send a song up higher and higher and higher, so that the radio stations can't ignore it, and the industry can't ignore it, and maybe they can say, you know what. There might actually be some money here if we did this, if we did this on our own. And that, I think, can have a major influence on not just this industry, the country music industry, but uh, a lot of other ones as well. Let me ask you one creative question. Um, so I've always wanted this. When an artist puts out a song, when you hear it, is there anything you're like, oh, man, I wish we did this. Or I, wish, I wish we didn't cut that out of it. I wish we put that part in it. Or... Ah, I, like that note. That's not quite the right note. I wanted that other note. And like, do you go back and you just obsess over the song and what you would change about it, or are you are you like, nah, this this is it, and this is the best we could put into it? I think if you're a, a, a real artist, you always critique everything. I mean, I'm I've always been the worst at it. <laughs> I mean, I'll critique it so much that it'll never come out. But this is one. This is the first one I didn't think about. Um, and I just did it. And there's something to that. I mean, that's what the guys back in the day did. You know, I mean, yeah. you know, I'm no Frank Sinatra, but I mean, he didn't sing something more than once. <laughs> you know, he just went in, did it, and that was it. Johnny Cash. Those weren't the, the best vocal performances on the, in the world, but you know what? You believed him. Mm. And that's what country music is, yeah. as long as you believe it. Um, so, you know, how this thing gets to number one is basically – People going to iTunes and paying the 99 cents for it—that's uh, it's completely fan-driven. Um, I think I think we we got a good chance of of getting there. I never thought we'd be in the top five, but uh, but yeah, um, if people dig the song, that's that's how they can support it and uh, stick it to the man here. That's it. That's what we got to do. Austin Moody. The song is "I'm Just Saying" and go check it out on the iTunes and pay the buck. Austin, great to talk to you, man. Keep it up. You too, Mike. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Breitbart News Daily. Again, the whole show is on Sirius XM Patriot 125 from 6 to 9 every morning. And the full podcast is available there. We had many guests, not just Austin Moody on today's show. Really got our history hats on today. Went back to the Revolutionary War. It was awesome. Uh, anyway, whole show, Sirius XM Patriot. Tomorrow, we're going to talk with Senator Marsha Blackburn. See you there.